now. And I think I even heard us sync up there. Right you are. All right. <clears throat> so we're back again. This is week five? This is week five. We're almost done phase one. We just have uh, Avengers next week, and then we're done phase one. Boom. So welcome back to the Road to Infinity War podcast. I am uh, your host, Jeremy Visser, and my co-host, Sam Nicholson. Well, hello, hello. And uh, this week, we have Thor lined up. So we're going to start talking with... Um, I, I feel like the files I got from you had them in a different order, but um, chronologically, I guess... First, we're talking about a funny thing happened on the way to Hor- Thor's hammer. Um, on the way to Hor's hammer. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, an unfortunate uh, <laughs> moment of uh, dyslexia. Um, then we're going to talk about Thor. Uh, then the Thor comic adaptation. And then we're going to finish up talking about the Marvel one-shot, The Consultant. Um, viewer discretion... I would watch the things we're talking about before you listen to this podcast, so you're in the know, and then we can fill in the the bits in between for you. That's good advice in general, just to uh, just just to be caught up on everything before uh, listening to the podcast. That way, we don't spoil anything inadvertently. Definitely, because you don't want to have not seen the one shots and then have us tell you what happens in them, because it just ruins the fun. Um. It was also the first time I've seen the one-shots, so that was that was interesting. Oh, really? You hadn't seen you didn't see any of them before? I must have seen some, um, but when we watched the Agent Carter one, that was totally fresh to me. And I thought I had seen a funny thing happen on the way to Horse Hammer, but do not did not recognize any of it. It would, like seemed totally fresh. Definitely hadn't seen the consultant. That was new. Oh, interesting. Uh, and I know item forty-seven. I've heard of and have definitely not seen. Because that has uh, who's the actress in that one? Lizzie Kaplan. I think that's actually my my favorite one. That one that, that one's pretty cool. You, you'll uh, you'll like that one. And then I think that it's that. And then uh, All Hail the King. And then I think they st- they did stop the one shots after that, which is a damn shame because I think they were just starting to get a handle on how they could use them. Yeah. So I mean, I guess I had seen absolutely zero of the one shots then because um, hadn't seen any of them. That's cool. You get like a new, fresh, a uh, few fresh things in your MCU rewatch. That's on top of the comics as well. So that works out. Absolutely. So, uh, funny thing happened on the way to Thor's hammer. Uh, this is a one shot starring Coulson, our boy. Yeah. And yeah. If, he's, if he's not your boy, just watch this one shot because, man, what a badass. <laughs> Uh, so he he rolls into the the gas station uh, and fills up with some Roxxon oil gas, which I thought was a great uh, nod there, as we talked about two weeks ago, Roxxon oil a fair bit. Yeah. And then you got him deciding between the, the uh, Little Debbie Powdered Donut Pack, whether he's going to get the, the powdered donut ones or the chocolate ones and he's trying to make this decision and then two people come in trying to hold up the place and he just takes them out like a badass um, all in the amount of time it takes for him to gas up 
Yeah, it's a fun, uh, just a fun little thing. Like, it doesn't really have any, you know, purpose, like, story-wise. Like, it doesn't really add anything to the overall MCU story, but that's why I like it. It's just Coulson kicking ass. It's, it, it's because I, I don't think at this point, have we really seen Coulson in combat? He doesn't fight an Iron Man. I can't remember if Iron Man 2, so I think it's the first time we actually might see him kick some ass, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, he, uh... He, he busts some ass in this one. Um, otherwise, yeah, I, I heard, uh, I guess, the however long the fight scene was, like less than 30 seconds, took up like something like 80% of their budget for the one-shots. So because of this fight scene, the, uh, the consultant had to be strictly... Uh, a sitting down conversation so they didn't ruin any more of the budget they, they didn't have anything left after that it was worth it this is a very memorable little uh, little one shot like it's just it's i think it's only four or five minutes but it's just him it, just the way they film it too like they, they really get get across that colson is uh you know he, he's kind of like a bureaucratic shield agent but he this is the first time they actually see that he can really kick some ass and he's not someone to mess with and he's the man all in one and he always has his like colson sense of humor like his little quips are, are always so good yeah, I've been watching the new season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, the past few days, and just I just love Coulson. How, how can you not like Coulson? Absolutely. Um, the, only, the only thing I really noticed about this of, of note was, uh, so he's not driving Lola, right? He's driving uh, what I assume is some kind of uh, product placement vehicle there. Uh, it was like a very specific um, car when I was looking on the wiki that uh, didn't have any actual relevance to the MCU, but was like a specific car that I assume they were trying to showcase in this this one shot where they probably got most of their budget from. Mm. Um, so it's not Lola, but correct me if I'm wrong, it's also not the car he rolls up to Thor's hammer in, because that one has a New Mexico license plate. Oh, so do you just discover a little uh, continuity error there? That's what I was thinking. Um, it's it's a pretty easily fixed one, though. Like, I assume he's just... I mean, I don't know why he would switch from that car to uh, a uh, another vehicle, like rent something. But maybe he just didn't want to take it off-road as much as the crater was. I don't know. It, it, was, was, it was an odd thing. He was coming from California, too. Remember, he leaves at the end of Iron Man 2 from California and goes to New Mexico, which is, you know... A fair drive, so maybe there's some car switchover. Maybe they just didn't think anyone would actually ever notice. Who knows? Maybe. Um, if they thought we wouldn't notice, they were sorely mistaken. <laughs> it's interesting to note that these early one shots, this and the consultant, are both centered around uh, Coulson, and then as they go on, they start to branch out, like to, to Peggy, and then to uh, well, item forty-seven characters, and then you know, oh, I won't spoil them if you haven't seen them. But it's interesting that the first two one-shots are more centered around Coulson, and then it branches out from there. I wonder if that was just to give more background information on Coulson as a character, or I wonder yeah. what the reasoning for that was. But either way, I'm happy because the more Coulson, the better. Yeah, I, I already know what the plot of item forty-seven is because um, that takes place after the Avengers, right? Yeah, yeah, that I already know what that is, that one is, so you don't have to worry about spoiling that. Uh, these were fresh to me though, so. Nice. But yeah, not a really whole lot story-wise that happens there. Just Coulson pulls up, beats some people up in a really cool way, and then uh, I think he pays for his snacks and says, like, not to say anything, and then 
is uh, is back on the road to Thor's hammer. Yeah. Um, so while we're on the subject of Marvel one shots before they're almost gone, uh, I notice when you um, review them and log them in Letterboxd, you never rate them. Why yes. is that? Uh, it's just like how do you rate like how do you rate this like this is a four minute like kind of just fun little video and like if it, like I want to rate it five stars because it's just the whole premise is Coulson walks into a store kicks ass walks out like but that that's not really like a five star I just find it very hard to rate short films like even I've watched some like the Pixar ones I find it really hard to give a rating to something that's three four minutes especially when it's something that's just meant to be a fun little tie in and not necessarily like its own thing like this could never really stand on its own but it it, it is like a a fun little tie-in to um, Marvel. It's just, so it would just be too hard for me to, to rate them accurately when they're only like five to ten minutes long. That's valid. Um, I mean, yeah, short films really are still still films and should fall under the same uh, like general idea of a film and, and should be rated by the same um, concept. But because they're one-shots and they're tie-ins, that that's a little different from doing a Pixar short where those generally have nothing to do with uh, the Pixar film you're going to see and are standalone short films that I feel like you're, you know, available to rate as, as you would anything else. Yeah. It's funny. I, I watched, uh, cause I've been, I've been starting to rewatch some of the Pixar movies. So I, to make it a little bit different this time, I'm, I'll watch like the movie, you know, how they always have those little shorts that air before the movie when you go to see them in theaters. So I'll watch those before and I tried rating them, but I, I don't know. I just find it very, very difficult for, for whatever reason to do something that's under five ten minutes when they're just little things I would like to try but but with these I definitely never would because these are just like tie-ins like they can't really stand on their own without having some sort of Marvel knowledge and like it'd just be too hard but uh, that is a that is a good point about rating short films in general I just find it difficult are, are you rating them uh, no because I don't really have any Half the fun of rating is comparing my scores to yours, and if yours don't have ratings, I just figured I'd follow suit. <laughs> Touche. That's mostly that. Um, I, I hope you rated... Uh, you're not rating them, but if you were rating the Pixar ones, I, I hope you would you would give Paperman five. <laughs> What's well, I mean? I want to give them all five, because they're all pretty brilliant shorts, but at the same time, there's some that are better than others, so it, it, is it, what's, it, what's it trying to tell in the span of five minutes? But... Uh, mm. Those are questions uh, left for another day. Absolutely. On the similar subject, though, uh, I, I feel like I have that issue with most MCU films um, because if if we weren't doing the sliding scale of, of you know five-star ratings here, so many of these Marvel movies would get way more than, than they're getting now. But because, you know... Um, so, so similar story, uh, I started watching... Uh, Buffy, uh, with with Cheryl recently, mm-hmm. um, and we watched the first four episodes, and I gave them all five star ratings, and then I had to go back and change them to four and a half, because I'm like, if these were standalone things I was watching, like yeah, they would be five stars, because I think they're brilliantly written and they're different and they're just really good. But I'm like, I feel like that's kind of the standard for Buffy. So I'm like, if those are good but not like jumping out at me, like for something else they would be perfect, but because they're Buffy, I'm like, I really have to wait for something that, like, is groundbreaking to give a five-star. So I, I've, i like, lowered... I'm, I'm sorry, I've, I've brought the standard up for Buffy because it's such a good show that, like, a five-star Buffy episode has to really go above and beyond. 
So I, I feel like that's kind of the same thing with with uh, MCU films, where the more I watch Thor, the more I love it. And like this this movie on its own, if it was released, would be four and a half for sure. But because I'm comparing them to other MCU movies, Thor still gets a four star for me, even though I love it more every time I watch it. Ah, uh, see, I, I've been hovering around the four and a half, four to three and a half, and I, I finally settled on three and a half because of that sliding scale. I think, uh, it, yeah, that, that's why when I try and rate a Marvel movie, I try and look, look at what I gave the other movies in that you know the, the, the similar rating. I'm like, I think four stars. Like, I think I gave four stars. Like. Captain America: First Avenger to Iron Man three to the Dark World, um, Ant Man. So that's, that's why it's hard, and I, I don't consider Thor to be quite on that level. So for that reason, I gave it three and a half, which is still good. Three and a half is, is that's a seven out of ten. That's a seventy percent. I still consider that to be good. It just Thor to me doesn't really match the level of greatness of um, a lot of the later movies that I I, I find. Like I think Thor is. It introduces a lot of the cosmic side of Marvel, which I kind of I really like. But it just, it, it, especially after watching like Ragnarok and uh, and stuff, it's just that's that's the kind of Thor that I really really enjoy. Whereas this is, and I really like this Thor too, obviously. But just in comparison to the other MC movies, this one isn't as strong for me, I guess. Um, I'm going to stop you by saying that calling Thor uh, part of the cosmic universe would erupt nerd debates on both sides because <laughs> From mainstream fan it's uh it's it, 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 it's it's not cosmic what's uh what's what's the difference between thor and uh laid on me why why, why would why well, are fans be upset so that's that's a good debate and i'm not calling you wrong in fact i would kind of agree with you in hindsight um but cosmic marvel generally is anything that happens in space um and because Thor is so based around mythology and gods and all of that stuff, people would generally try and tie it away from that. But, I mean, Asgardians really just are aliens. Um, and there's a bunch of stuff that happens in... I don't know if this is more recent or this has been tied to other stuff, but, like, there was, like, the Asgardian uh, Shi'ar war in, in, in an arc I was reading of Thor, God of Thunder. That was amazing. Um, and... I feel like the more it ties into cosmic stuff, the more Thor makes sense. <coughs> yeah, see, when I say cosmic, I meant like literally just taking place somewhere else other than Earth. So I, I do see what the distinction you're making, but I just, I mean, in the sense that this is the first time that we see that like there's there is like aliens and there is like this whole other aspect of the universe that we had that hasn't really been touched on in Iron Man one or two, or first avenger maybe a little bit in first avenger but like that it hasn't actually been seen so thor is really kind of like a pretty big introduction to the fact that they're okay there's there's a whole like you said as guardians are technically aliens that there's aliens out there that they have that they're connected to earth so i do appreciate the film for that for introducing that there because that that is where we're at now where we have movies like guardians of the galaxy and ragnarok which are set on entirely different planets even the new season of agents of shield is Set set in a different time, and it's just like all of that. I don't think wouldn't have been possible, and even the the original Avengers itself, like the idea of the aliens invading and Loki running the show, wouldn't have been possible without Thor, the original, and and, and even the the visuals that it lent to the the Thor series, like just the look of Asgard and and uh, you know the Bifrost and all that. I think is very unique, and I really like that from this film. 
Totally. Because um, I, I would say MCU fans would initially be like, this is 100% in the realm of magic as opposed to cosmic. Because it's, you know, that's a huge theme of the movie is magic. It's just, you know, science we don't understand yet. And there's that huge tie-in. And this is kind of the precursor to, to Doctor Strange happening. And that's, you know, why it ties into Thor Ragnarok. But then at the same time, with the introduction of Thor Ragnarok and Infinity War and stuff like that, I would argue that Thor is half magic, half cosmic. Because, you know, with stuff like Loki, you have ties to Doctor Strange. And uh, with the rest of it, like, they go to Sakaar for World War Hulk. And, you know, he... We, we see that scene with uh, Thor meeting up with the Guardians of the Galaxy um, in the Infinity War trailer and stuff like that. So I feel like it's it's half and half, which is uh, maybe something I've never really thought about before, but uh, is a very valid point. Hmm. Food for thought there. As always, I will defer to you on labeling things in the Marvel uh, the Marvel Comics universe, or even the Marvel Film universe. I will always defer to you in, in these matters. <laughs> um... <laughs> Um, before I forget, you mentioned the the Bifrost Bridge, and I saw a thread on Reddit where uh, it's markedly different in every single Thor movie, which my first thought was continuity issues, but um, not 100% remembering how it happens in, in Thor 2. Uh, at the end of Thor 1, it's, you know, Thor smashes it, so... The fact that they rebuilt it and it looks different in Thor 2 makes sense. And knowing what we know about Thor 2, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, it needs, uh, you know, some reconstruction before Thor 3 happens. Mm. But uh, I thought I thought that was interesting, though, because it's super basic in this one. It's just kind of, like, straight with not a lot of structures along the side of it. But in Thor Dark World, it's got, like, those wires kind of, like, I don't know, like Golden Gate Bridge style, that like Heimdall runs up the wire to jump onto the Dark Elf craft there. I love that scene. Yeah, me too. And then in Thor Ragnarok, it uh, looks completely different too. I forget exactly how, but... That's true. I hadn't I had picked up on that. But yeah, I guess that is a good point about uh, Heimdall running up the, uh, the bridge. I had a I hadn't, good, good, uh, good eye. I hadn't noticed that myself. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, for ratings, you're giving this three and a half on Letterbox. That was your your rating. Yes, three and a half, which is the same I gave to Iron Man two, both of which I enjoy. Just uh, comparative to the other Marvel movies, that's why I decided to. Uh, I think there was only two that I gave three and a half to. Um, so I want to make two comparisons with your reasoning here, uh, because I'm not sure where I stand anymore between Thor and Thor Dark World. But you're saying Thor Dark World gets four stars. Yeah, but remember, we're in the severe minority. I think that, that I, I like, most people give Iron Man 2 a hard time, but I think most people consider Thor of the Dark World to be one of the worst MCU movies, and I actually, well, I like that more than the, than the original Thor, I, I, but uh, I think we're in the minority there. I, I, I really enjoy uh, the Dark World, but uh, it doesn't seem that was like that was like the case for everyone. So yeah, I gave Dark World four stars, this three and a half. Interesting. Um, and Ragnarok, I, I gave five. Yeah, naturally. It's a perfect movie. <laughs> um... So, I feel like they're kind of on par for me. I'll prob- probably end up knocking, because at some point I gave uh, Thor Dark World four and a half, because I didn't, when I first watched Thor, didn't like it a ton. It seemed all right, mostly because I uh, 
watched it on cam originally, so that kind of ruined parts of it for me. Um, and the second one I loved, like, it changed everything for me. I love the team up with Loki and Thor, and I love Malekith uh, and all of that stuff. But the more I watch it, like, I, I just really don't like the final battle um, in London. It bugs the hell out of me. I find it, like, kind of tiresome, and you're just kind of waiting for it to end. And I don't really feel like there's any scenes like that in Thor that bothered me. So I feel like they've slowly kind of equaled out to around the same rating for me. Uh, yeah, I'd say they're fairly on par with one another. Like, I like Dark World more, but I wouldn't say it's, like, a whole... Like, I'd say they're, I'd say they're fairly similar, like, uh, ratings-wise, and just... Yeah, I would agree with that. But why do you like Thor less than Captain America? The first Avenger. Oh, I've always liked Cap One, Cap One more. I, I don't know. Cap One is just uh, it, it's more the style of movie that like it, it's completely unique in the MCU. Just that World War Two, you know, style. Just the, the character development. Steve, I like the characters more. Uh, um, like like Peggy and then Chester Phillips and just like the whole vibe. Um, yeah, I just I I, I think Captain America One. It's funny because initially I was a bit softer. The way the way that you were with the Dark World, I was initially softer with uh, Captain America. I, I, the first time, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's pretty good. But each time I've watched it since, I've actually grown to like it more. Like I've actually, and just like the soundtrack, just, I don't know, it just all adds up to a pretty cool. Uh, and it, it, overall, it's definitely the weakest Captain America film in comparison to the other two super strong ones he has. But I, I would say I definitely like Cap One more than I do Thor One. It just, uh, yeah, for those reasons. Hmm. All right, but, but you um, like Thor One more than Cap One? I like them on par. Uh, they, they both get four star and that's kind of Thor used to get a three and a half for me, but then I was like, you know what? This movie is as strong as Captain America, the first Avenger for, for me. So, uh, interesting. Um, and pardon my constant mispronunciation. My nose is all stuffed up. So, you know, Captain America, the first Avenger, uh, whore, God of Thunder. It's yeah, it's <laughs> my mouth's a mess right now. Um, before we get into Thor, I wanted to uh, touch on similar mistakes I've made in, in previous podcasts uh, and humbly, humbly apologize to the listeners for that. So uh, I still don't remember who created Deadpool. That's a little uh, over my head right now. But I was saying that I thought it was Joe Casey and that Joe Casey was a Spider-Man writer that I enjoyed. I was 100% thinking of Joe Kelly. Joe Kelly was a, was a big Deadpool writer. Um, I don't think he created him, but I don't know. Look that up. Do not listen to me. Half the stuff I say is 10% wrong. So How do you sleep at night? Do the math for that. Um, Joe Kelly is the Spider-Man writer. Joe Casey is in a group of writers... Uh, that, that do production for stuff called Man of Action, I think. And Joe Kelly and Joe Casey are both in that, along with two other people. Um, they worked on the uh, Ultimate Spider-Man show cartoon, which is garbage. Uh, don't watch it. I hate it. Um, love Man of Action, though, because I guess they made Ben 10, which I have not seen, but have heard great things about. So, Joe Casey's... Joe Casey's alright. I actually don't know a lot of what he's written, but I've read some of his stuff. I have his uh, his whole series, The Bounce, which is all right. Um, haven't finished it yet, so not as good as it could be. But he's not Joe Kelly. 
I will say that. And I should not have mixed them up. Apology rejected. And I also called, when I was doing some editing on the uh, the week three podcast, I called... Um, I called Rhodey a sergeant, I think. And what is his rank? Is he, he's, he's Colonel Rhodes, right? That's a good question. I'm actually not too sure. I called him a sergeant, and I was like, shit, I should have said Colonel. Uh, and now I don't remember what he is at all. So, if I ever say anything completely false, disregard it. I say dumb shit all the time. He was a lieutenant colonel. Lieutenant Colonel. I, I don't know if he uh, that would still apply. I don't know. It, actually, they didn't really address that. I think about it between after Avengers one or after Iron Man three. Is he sorry? Yeah, after Iron Man three, is he still with the military? Actually, or is he just full on Avengers now? I don't know if they actually say. Um, must be with the military because they gave him the Iron Patriot suit. Mm. That was a government decision, I think. So. It just by Civil War, when, when they start training them in uh, is it Age of Ultron, I, I pictured them being full-on Avengers now, but that's, uh, I hadn't really thought about that before. Hard to say. Um, all right. Getting into Thor, the movie. Directed by Kenneth Branagh. And I love Kenneth Branagh. Um, he stars, acts, and directs a ton of Shakespeare stuff. And he's like, no one has done as much for film adaptations of Shakespeare since, like, Laurence Olivier. Dude is a legend. And the fact that he would direct uh, a comic book movie involving Norse mythology and then, you know, I, I'm sure be very much a part of casting Tom Hiddleston to play Loki, who I think at the time was known for doing Shakespeare plays. Um and has done some in his day. It's just a brilliant idea. Uh, so gotta give, gotta give the dude some respect for that. Um, above, above all else, the fact that he did a Thor movie and kind of had some of the background that he did with Shakespeare, I feel like was a huge part for this movie, and I'll always appreciate it for that. Yeah, I did not. Uh, I, I was looking at his filmography, and other than. Murder on the Orient Express and this, I've never actually seen one of the movies that he's uh, directed before. I might have seen his Frankenstein when I was young, but I remember uh, a thing from it. So this week I actually don't have a whole lot to contribute uh, other than uh, other than I've, I've obviously seen him in a bunch of movies, but I've never actually seen anything he's directed other than those two movies before. You've seen him in a bunch of movies, do tell. Kenneth Branagh? Yeah, he's, a, uh, he's an actor. Well, I saw him in the cinematic masterpiece uh, Wild Wild West uh, a few weeks ago. If you've ever had the, the treat of seeing that, he plays uh, he plays the villain. Have you ever seen that before? Definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he's like the bad guy who has like the the spider legs. Um, I'd have to look up his... I haven't seen him, I don't think, in a whole lot of movies, but mm -hmm. I'd have to... Uh, I've definitely seen him in some, but I just can't think of... He was in The Murder on the Orient Express. And I'd have to look up the rest of his filmography, but I've, he's just one of those actors that you see in a bunch of stuff, you know? Hmm. Yeah, I'm used to seeing him in stuff he's directed. Uh, like, I know he, I think he was Hamlet in his um, adaptation of Hamlet. Uh, and he's a great actor. He's hella, hella good. Um, but I didn't really know him outside of that. I'll have to do some uh, looking around for that. Um, 
So yeah, we have Thor. Uh, most of it takes place in New Mexico, aside from going back to Asgard now and then. Uh, we we get introduced to uh, Dr. Eric Selvig, played by Stellan Skarsgård. All is, those Skarsgård uh, boys, they can do no wrong. Absolutely. Um, could you imagine if they had picked... Uh, what's what's his... Is it his nephew? Not Bill Skarsgård, but the other guy. Alexander? Like the guy from uh, True Blood? Yeah. What if, what if he, he had been cast as Thor? <laughs> can you imagine? I, you know what? I'll consider it. Like, he's, a, he's a tall dude. He's pretty pretty good shape. Like I can't really picture it, but at the same time, he would be like... Like I, I could see them considering him. Yeah, absolutely. Like I'm kind of like he, he looks very, he very ball. fucking Nordic. Like that's for sure. Well, their their background is like they yeah. they have a very Viking name and they actually yeah descend from Vikings and stuff. So I thought it was funny that Eric Selvig is portrayed by a Skarsgård when he you know Eric Selvig doesn't need to be Nordic, but the actor is. So that's kind of neat. Um, we have the wonderful Natalie Portman playing Jane Foster. Yes, that's right. Which is her? And, I think this is where her and uh, Idris—they both. I don't think we're too fond of making this movie, and uh, I think I don't think we'll be seeing Natalie Portman back. I'm surprised she actually came back for the uh, for the Dark World. Maybe she had a contract, but I don't expect to be seeing Jane Foster in any future uh, MCU movies. I, you know, I'd like to kind of for Thor's sake, but yeah. Uh, do you, do you know why she didn't like doing Thor movies? I know why Idris did did didn't, um, but I don't I, I don't her not as specifically. I just don't think she. No, actually, I don't know why. I just had heard some comments over the years that she, like, wasn't wasn't crazy about being in like the being in them and not not being in them. I just don't think she really enjoyed the acting experience. But don't quote me on that because I'm not 100 percent sure. Idris, I know for sure, didn't like working on the first two movies. But uh, but yeah, don't, don't quote me on Natalie Portman though. What was Idris's thing too? He wanted more. He, he just, just said he just said he didn't really have a lot of fun doing it. Like he just didn't really enjoy doing it. But then he said he he absolutely loved doing Ragnarok because uh, like uh, of the, just the set was so much fun apparently. And he, he said like he wasn't really looking forward to it going into Ragnarok, but he actually really ended up enjoying it, having a blast doing that. Um, oh, but but these so two, I, I, he just didn't like. He just didn't find them very fun to act, and I don't think. And you know, Idris, this is 2011, so this is when I think he was just starting to kind of get big. Like he was in this and like. Prometheus and a few other movies around this time, but this would be like you know Idris probably now if they cast they could probably he could probably tentpole a uh, a superhero movie, but at this time he was still kind of a bit more unknown. So he that's why I think he's in more of a supporting role than an actual lead role. Gotcha. <clears throat> um, and then we got Kat Dennings as Darcy Lewis. I think her last name is. Um, I never knew her last name till just now. Yeah, they don't say it in this one. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It might have been something uh, introduced uh, either in the credits or in a later movie, but uh, yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, so we get them in their van. They're storm chasing, trying to deal with some science-y stuff that is related to uh, the whole Thor thing. And uh, she ends up hitting Thor with van um, we we see some a little flashback to 956 AD in uh, Norway I don't know if this is the same town that was in Captain America Tonsberg but I think it might have been oh really 
I think so. Don't quote me on that. But look into it, people. Look into it. <laughs> um, which is kind of weird because, yeah, so that's that's the battle between uh, the Frost Giants and uh, the Asgardians where Odin loses his eye. Um, and then he snatches up baby Loki. Uh, so he's telling this story to young Thor and Loki, which makes me wonder how old they are. Because I feel like in the comics that Thor is, uh, like, was born well before 956 AD, but I don't know. Could be wrong. Yeah, actually, I have no conception of how old they are there. I'd have to refer to you on that one, at least from a comic standpoint. I have no idea how old they're supposed to be. Um, from a history standpoint, what year, like, era or so were the Vikings, like, big? They were uh, the turn of the last millennium. They would have been like the late 900s, early 1000s, uh, I'd say. I, I think they started making their way west uh, around that time, but I'm not okay. 100% sure. So it might still fit in here then, because I'm pretty sure Thor was like 16 or like something somewhat young when he was uh, fighting around with the Vikings and stuff like that. So could could still be, you know, true to the comics. But how does that work? If he's six, he's sixteen in the year nine sixty five, but he's like that, like like how old? Do you, do you, like is Thor hundreds of years old? Is Thor thousands of years old? I actually I actually don't know because I don't know anything about his uh, Marvel <laughs> counterpart. Like, is it ever explicitly said or? Um, not obviously in a way that I was able to search it up. Uh, I tried looking and they didn't really say much. Um, but there is a comic involving him being young, and I don't know what age. Th- era that would have taken place but um he was somewhat young when the vikings were around so i assume their aging probably works like elves where they reach adulthood at the same length humans do and then from there kind of stop aging ah that makes sense but who knows um so yeah we got that whole back thing um and and you see the scene with odin uh taking no you don't see the scene with him taking uh, loki until later but you see him taking the uh i think it's called the casket of ancient winters um which is an odd name. I feel like they say it once and just call it the casket for the rest of the movie. Which, <laughs> but it doesn't sound as it doesn't sound as epic when he's like passing yeah. me the casket of ancient winters. It just has an epic sound to it. Mm-hmm. Um, someone grabs the casket though, after Odin like, you know, defeats Laufey, and he has what looks like the exact same outfit that Loki wears later in the movie. So, not sure who it was that was wearing that um kind of left that open for for maybe some later storytelling but uh yeah if you ever watch it again keep an eye out for that there's a dude that i swear has the exact same outfit loki has which bears the question where and why does he wear that outfit oh that's a good question yeah um could have maybe been uh, Odin's brother, Cull, maybe. Not something I we. I didn't know Odin had a brother. Yeah, not something we see in the MCU. So, but maybe that was something they were opening up for later. Um, 
Yeah, so we get introduced to Thor and Loki. Thor is played by uh, Chris Hemsworth. Um, and he's pretty damn good in this in this movie. Uh, I really enjoy him as Thor. Um, mostly he's just kind of, he's got the jovial and clueless bit down a little bit. But his acting's pretty on par in this. Like when he gets banished to to Midgard there, he, uh, when he yells at, at, uh, at Odin and says that he's a an old man or something like that. If we like a he, the way he yells is just like super believable and it's just Actually, like yeah, a, I know the exact scene you're talking about. Yeah, it's just really powerful. See, it's something about his eyes and his face, his facial expression and everything on it. He just like really sells it, and that's kind of the point where I'm like, yeah, yeah, Chris Hemsworth, is Thor <laughs> for sure. Well, I never, um, I never heard of Chris Hemsworth before Thor. Like, I had no idea who he was, and even to this day, I still have only seen him. I think in one or two movies outside of Thor. So he's still out of all the actors in the MCU. He's probably the one I was. I'm overall the least familiar with their body of work. True. Um, but yeah, no, I quite like him. Like, like I remember going in. Like, I like nothing against uh, him being cast in it or anything. Like when it was announced, like I, I didn't really know who he was. But I thought, like, oh yeah, I could see this guy as Thor, and then. Uh, and then, yeah, I ended up, I, I think he's really owned the role and actually made Thor, like, an awesome character. Yeah, I remember when it got cast, I didn't know Chris Hemsworth, and I did not know Tom Hiddleston. Um, and I remember reading that Tom Hiddleston had done some Shakespeare stuff, and I thought it said that about Chris Hemsworth, but I looked that up, and that was false. That was me. I can't picture him doing uh, him yeah. doing Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, no, me neither now. Um, but Tom Hiddleston I wasn't familiar with at the time, and... I think we gave uh, a no prize there to uh, Robert Downey Jr. for having the single most iconic um, MCU uh, performance of a character. But I don't know if he should get that over Tom Hiddleston as Loki. Because I think, in my opinion, that is the single best character performance in the entire series. Yeah, I could I could be inclined to agree with that. He, he gives a very uh, very good performance. He's like uh, he, he, that's what I like about. It. Sometimes you don't know if you can trust him. Sometimes you think you can, and uh, yeah, just his arc throughout the whole series has been fascinating. Cause it's been cool because he's been in a few of the the movies. So you've really got to see his uh, his arc go. Some you know he's a villain to kind of hero to villain again to kind of hero again. So that's uh, he's had a very. And he's very likable. Like he's a very likable villain. Like you just like whenever he's on screen, you're very entertained by what's happening. Definitely, he's my favorite part of every movie that he's in, really. Um, and his performance in this movie specifically is next level. Um, when he's yelling at Odin, when he finds out about his, you know, his uh, birthright and stuff like that, it's super powerful. Just. Damn, uh, you know his scheming aside, his his portrayal and the way he reacts to things just next next level. Agreed. Um, we got Anthony Hopkins as Odin. Obviously, kills it. Yeah, how do we not talk about Anthony Hopkins? He's uh, I, I like that, that, that's the one thing you see in the MCU is like, like the casting they get for these movies. Like my god, like Anthony Hopkins in a Marvel movie, I couldn't have seen that ten years ago. He's, like, one of the legendary all-time actors, and he's been in all three of them. Like, he's obviously really enjoys doing it. And, uh, and yeah, so I, I gotta say, like, it, like obviously Odin's performance isn't the most, like, it's not up there with Loki or anything, but it's just cool having, like, a major 
movie star like your major actor like Anthony Hopkins in a in a Marvel movie, and that we've seen such good casting, which I think is what helps the Marvel movies be so good is is their casting. They they, they really do have an amazing casting person or department or whatever it is. Yeah, totally. Um, he's great. Uh, and then we got Sif, who's a pretty awesome character. Um, I think we saw her in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in an episode. Uh, she didn't make it into Thor Ragnarok, I guess. Uh, yeah, Loki. I remember being surprised about that. Yeah, I think the story is that Loki was cast her out because he was afraid that she would uh, discover him or whatever was the, the reasoning they were going for with that. I know she has a TV show, so maybe she just like she was filming it or something, or like she didn't have time. Because yeah, it seems strange not seeing her in the new uh, the new Thor movie. I was I was very surprised about that. Yeah, um, we got his mother, uh, Frigga. Uh, she's pretty great. Um, I guess I guess the interesting thing with her uh, that you don't really see in this one, I think, but in Dark World you do. Uh, she's the sorceress like she uh when they got loki you know cast the enchantments on him to make him look as guardian um and hide his skin color and stuff so that's why he continues to look as he does and she taught loki everything he knows magic wise oh that would make sense yeah i'm not sure when that gets uh put into the the canon but that that is the case and makes sense. Um, so, the rest really is, uh, I guess we'll go over some of the characters and uh, uh, weaponry and fun stuff like that. So we got we got Thor with his wonderful hammer there, Meow Meow. <laughs> meow Meow. <laughs> uh, so Mjolnir's, you know, made from uh, Uru metal forged in the heart of a dying star, this ultimate weapon that Odin can use, and the whole plot is based on him being worthy enough to lift it and stuff like that. Um, we've got uh, the Warriors 3. Um, so Sif isn't one of the members, but it's kind of like Sif and the Warriors 3. So Sif's, you know, got her double-bladed sword, uh, which actually doesn't have a name. And Volstag has a battle axe that doesn't have a name. Uh, Volstag is for sure my favorite character in The Warriors 3, though. Uh, I love the, the line when when uh, Thor has been exiled and they're talking about all the food he's eaten. And he goes, do not confuse my appetite for apathy. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. Why uh, Why isn't Sif in The Warriors 3? Is there a, a reason for that that you know of? Because she's pretty, like, they make a point that she's pretty badass. Why is she not in the in there with the other the others? Probably sexism, I'm sure. <laughs> I think, I feel like the Thor society is a bit more advanced than ours. I would hope that they wouldn't still have sexism, but... No, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think she just kind of came on her own to be a badass, and... Um, no, well, they talk about her. They mention, like... Uh, Thor's like, well, you know, who told everyone that you could be um, like a badass as you are, even though you were a girl? And then she's like, I did. He's like, yes, but I supported you. Um, so even <laughs> though the Valkyries uh, exist, uh, they still kind of make mention the fact that, you know, her gender has a part uh, in on the fact that she's a badass warrior. Um, yeah. Uh, 
So I think it's just that the Warriors 3 were their own thing, and then Sif maybe came around as a love interest or something else, but then kind of was her own thing, and then just kind of seems to roll with them. Uh, well, I really like her as a character. She's uh, she's quite uh, quite cool. Yeah. Um, Volstag, I love uh, in the comics, in recently in um, Jason Aaron's run on Thor, they actually uh, turned him into the War Thor, which is probably one of my favorite uh, story arcs in that. Highly recommend anyone who loves Thor to check that out. Start to finish, his whole run is amazing. Um, we got Fandril, who uh, was recast after this movie. Oh, yes, that's right. I remember noticing that in uh, in Dark World. He, uh, I don't know who plays him here, but I know who plays him in uh, in Dark World. Joshua Dallas? No, he's he, isn't he the one who plays him in, in this in in this Thor? Okay, so it was Zachary Levi in the next one. Yes, Zachary okay. Levi played him in the other one. Um, Josh Dallas, I'm not sure. I didn't really recognize him in uh, like in, in Thor one. I, I I don't think I'd seen him in anything else. Yeah. As far as I know. Yeah, I'm not very familiar with him. Um, his weapon of choice is a. Uh, a foil, I think it's called. One of those swords that has like the guard on it and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know a lot about Thor stuff, but his sword is named. Like it's called Fim Fimble Fimble Draugr, if that's hopefully how you pronounce it. <laughs> I, I, I love Norse um, words and weaponry, and they always have the most badass names. Uh, then the last member of the Warriors 3 is Hogan who is the only one who's not Asgardian. Uh, he's a veneer from Vanaheim. Um, from Anaheim? Veneer. Vanaheim. <laughs> Anaheim. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, he's got his uh, his little mace there. Uh, Hridgandir, I think it's pronounced. Uh, so so him and him and Fandral have some, some dope, legendary, well-known weapons. Um, I can always count on you to know the weapons and uh, the costumes. That's why uh, you're always uh, my number one go-to for that. Yeah, I, I had to Google this stuff because unfortunately I haven't gotten enough oh. into this. Jeez. Um, but now we know. Uh, also, Heimdall's sword is called Hofund, which I did not know. Probably pronouncing that wrong, too. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I thought it was interesting because uh, his sword is like the key to the Bifrost, right? And traveling to the other realms. Mm-hmm. I never really clued into the fact that um, uh, Odin's spear could do the same thing. It can? Yeah, because uh, so when Loki uh, takes over and you know pronounces himself king of Asgard, he uses uh, Odin's spear, which is Gungnir, which is is a sort uh, a, a weapon I am familiar with. Um, that's that's a pretty famous Norse spear. It's Odin's spear, um, and he freezes uh, Heimdall with the gasket, and then uh, uses Gungnir to, um, to to travel to to Jotunheim, I believe. Hmm. Also, when uh, Odin casts Thor down to Midgard. Um, he tosses Hofund to 
Heimdall and he uses his spear himself to send him down. So. Oh, true. So Heimdall's not the, like, he's just the, the gatekeeper, right? Like, Odin doesn't need his power to use the Bifrost. So he can just kind of travel whenever he feels like it? Yeah, just like Loki. He knows his secret ways, right? Um, so, the, uh, the, uh, Jotuns, the Frost Giants, invade, um, uh, Odin's vault, and we see some, some interesting stuff there. A lot of it gets touched on in Thor Ragnarok. Like, I think you might see the Eternal Flame and, and some, uh, some other stuff that is touched on later. But, uh. Aside from the casket of uh, Ancient Winters being in there, you see what fans thought was the Eye of Agamotto, which, which ended up we know it is not the case. And yeah, now that we've seen Doctor Strange, that was not the case. It's actually an item called the Warlock's Eye, uh, which has some significance to Thor that I am not familiar with. Um, there's also something called the Tablet of Life and Time, which you see there that I'm also not familiar with, but was from Thor. Um, and then finally, more famously known, they have the Infinity Gauntlet in the, the chamber, which was a huge continuity issue um, once they decided they were going to make use of that. Because I think it like has all the gems and stuff in it, too. Um, and they debunked that in Thor Ragnarok, which I really appreciated, uh, when they're looking through the vault and saying how half the stuff there is fake and useless, and they throw the Infinity Gauntlet down kind of thing. Yeah, which is funny because we, we, we talk about stuff like minute stuff that, that we wish the MCU would retcon or, you know, just, you know address directly. Like, uh, there's something in the Hulk podcast last week we were talking about. And uh, it's like this. Like, that's actually kind of a clever little thing just to show that, oh, yeah, you know, this is a mistake. But, like, so people who weren't paying attention wouldn't really think anything of it. But people were like, oh, yeah, they messed up in the original Thor. They shouldn't have had that. Yeah, so I feel like that just shows it's totally doable and not hard to write in a way to fix giant continuity errors and i kind of wish they were all addressed but i mean you learn to live with it yeah <laughs> um so whatever stuff we have here uh they have the destroyer guarding the odin's vault who's one of the villains i guess you could say in this the the tool which loki uses against thor um, I really like the fight scene when they go to Jotunheim. Um, and, you know, Loki's obviously manipulating this whole ordeal. Um, but Thor just using his hammer, going out against these frost giants, and, you know, taking out the big uh, monster thing there. And uh, it's, it's pretty dope. It kind of sets the basis for, like, how his hammer works and all the stuff they can do with it. And I feel like they covered that really well. And that whole scene's just, like, really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Odin comes to their rescue on Sleepnir, I think it's pronounced. Uh, so he's got an eight-legged horse, which just sounds badass. Yeah, and he, I think he uses it to to get to Jotunheim there, and I think we see it in later movies. I think it's in Dark World at some point. Um, but yeah, so keep an eye out for that. Um, we see the Stan Lee cameo at the, the hammer hefting party there. Oh, yeah. 
Which, which would make sense. I mean, it's something like, you know, it's like King Arthur's sword. Like, if something like that, you know, fell from the sky and there's a huge crater, like, it kind of makes sense that people would come out and try, you know, try and lift it up. It would become, like, a thing. Yeah, and that sounds like the greatest party in the world. Everyone's trying to lift a hammer and they got beers and barbecue. Like, just, I want a hammer-hafting party. That sounds like a good time. Well, it's like in, uh, in Age of Ultron when they're all uh, going, or trying to pick up the hammer. They're just having a great time, having some laughs and trying to pick up Thor's hammer. Yeah, so you you can't pick up the hammer without having a beer nearby. Like, it's just, that's kind of <laughs> how it works, Meant to guys. be. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Um, uh, I touched on earlier how, how Loki looks as Guardian. Um, also, they mentioned that he's a runt. Like, he he looked really small for a frost giant baby. So that kind of adds to his character. Um, you know, he's, so when he does, you know, hold onto the gasket and start, the gasket and start, uh, turning blue and stuff, he doesn't change his size, because, like, the size he is is the size he would have been as a, you know, frost giant runt, I guess. Which is an interesting, uh, thought that I, I never really, I was thinking about that, I'm like, he's a frost giant, I think Cheryl asked one, she was like, how is he, why does he look as Guardian, then, if he's a frost giant, and I was like, I guess magic, and that's the other's <laughs> case. And he's a run. See, it's funny all these little questions that I never consider until I speak with you. And then, like, yeah, like that should be an obvious one in hindsight. I, I don't know how I didn't pick up on that before. Yeah, right. You don't you don't think about these things until you start getting really into it. And when you're taking notes when you're watching the movie, that's when the stuff pops up. <laughs> um, so we got Odin in his Odin sleep, which is a classic uh, Thor comics thing. Oh, is it? Yeah, they, I think they used that a couple times. and It's not like a random thing they made up, for sure. Uh, um, I like the Donald Blake reference. I don't know if you read the, the Thor comic blogs I've been doing, but uh, he started with like a, um, an alter ego kind of thing, where he, I don't know exactly how it worked, but he... Uh, Donald Blake was this doctor who was in love with Jane Foster, found Mjolnir, picked it up, and could transform into Thor. So it was like someone he could turn into and, you know, become at will. Uh, and you see he's an ex-boyfriend of Jane Foster um, when she gives his old shirt with the name tag uh, to Thor after he uh, was done showing off his abs. <laughs> is he ever done showing off his abs, abs though? Nope. <laughs> um, we have, when S.H.I.E.L.D. comes and takes all their stuff, we have Eric Selvig mention, you know, that S.H.I.E.L.D.'s not something to mess with, that he knew uh, a pioneer in gamma radiation who S.H.I.E.L.D. came in and then he disappeared and no one heard from him again kind of thing. That would be, uh, of course, um, Edward Norton he's speaking about specifically. Yep. A.K.A. Bruce Banner. So, great, uh, great Easter egg there. Um, th there's a line, uh, Loki's talking to the Warriors 3, where they want, you know, Thor brought back to Asgard, now that, that Loki's king or whatever, and he goes, well, my first order as king can't be to, you know, undo the last order of, of Odin, you know, it doesn't work like that. He's, and he says... Our people need a sense of continuity in order to feel safe in these difficult times. And that was a line uh, they actually took from Kevin Feige when he created the MCU. 
Um, oh, it's a little so bit of meta-ness there. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of cool. No, nah, I, I made that up. That's, oh, <laughs> I, thought you were, I thought you were actually being serious. <laughs> no, no. Uh, <laughs> can you well, imagine if he said that talking about the fans? Like, that's what I was to say. He had me fooled. You deliver <laughs> things so casually sometimes. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to know. All right. Um, so they got Mjolnir uh, covered there. We see Jasper Sitwell, um, who... See in Iron Man two, we saw him. Where did we see him recently? Or was it in Captain America? Iron Man two, right? Uh, yes, I believe it was Iron Man two. I don't think he was in Cap. Yeah, it's kind of cool seeing all these like Shield agents throughout the. You got Sitwell, you have uh, Coulson, you have uh, Felix Blake. Like all these kind of. Well, Coulson's more important, but like these minor Shield agents, you get to kind of see throughout multiple movies too. And as we know, of course, he's Hydra Sitwell. So, but this is I think this is before they probably knew that, and this is him being buddies with uh, Coulson. Uh, back in the day, yeah. Who who was the third Shield agent you mentioned there? Uh, Felix Blake. Who's that? He uh, well, you'd recognize him for sure. He was he was the one. Uh, well, he's in the item forty seven one shot, but he's also an agent of Shield. He's played by um, Titus Welver. You'd recognize him from Lost. Uh, you, if you look up Felix Blake, you'll recognize him immediately. Um, but yeah. He, oh, okay. Yeah. I was yeah, yeah. I was like I know Titus Welver. <laughs> that name rings a bell. Oh, but man. I don't know if you would have seen him. I can't remember if he actually appears in any of the movies or because he's definitely in the item 47 one shot and then he shows up in some shield episodes. So it's kind of cool huh. seeing like these more minor uh, shield agents just just gives a bit more world building to uh, the concept of shield. That's awesome. Um, yeah, we uh, we see Hawkeye uh, for the first time. Jeremy Renner's uh, debut in this. That's right. Yeah. Which is pretty dope. That's um, cool when he's watching uh, just the dialogue with him and Coulson going back and forth when he's watching uh, when he's watching Thor and asking if he can take the shot or not. Yeah, I really like that scene. Definitely. And that's um, when Thor has his uh, his breakdown, right? That's when he he tries to pull the hammer, but he can't. Yeah, uh, right before he's uh, mud wrestling with that one guy there. <laughs> A little bit of fan service for the girls there and guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to um, say, with all the men in the MCU, there, there's a, there, there's a little bit of fan service towards the girls, which is a good thing. I think that's a good thing. If I, the amount of shirtless ripped men I've seen in the MCU movies, my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as soon as we saw his cut abs, we're like, can we get him mess- wrestling with another guy in, in some mud? And you demanded sure, it. They brought it. <laughs> um, so obviously uh, his hands are too wet from the rain and the mud, and that's why he can't lift Mjolnir. That's the reason? Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, that that sounds like a good reason. He just got slippery hands and he can't uh, he can't lift it up. So you almost had me there for a second again, too. The way you delivered it so casually, I was like, wait, wait a second. That's not the reason. He doesn't uh, have slippery hands. Um, so Eric Selvig brings him out, calling him, you know, Donald Blake using a fake ID or whatever, uh, which I thought was kind of funny. And so they're like, no, this isn't Thor. This is Donald Blake. Uh, which, you know, is true to the comics, to a degree. Um, there's an ad you see in the, the town several times um, that I, I, I was keeping an eye out for all the advertising because usually they like to, you know, like uh, do shout-outs to, to different people and stuff. I couldn't really see any in this. There was like an Arturo's Cafe. 
there was like Isab Isabella's place or Isabel's place. Uh, didn't really get any of those references if they were supposed to be them. But they have an ad for, for New Mexico and it says uh, Land of Enchantment dot 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 Journey into Mystery. And Journey into Mystery was the comic that Thor made his debut in. Oh. So, and they try to do this in a lot of them and I wish they did them in more. Um, in Ant-Man, uh, um, what's the guy's name? What's the villain in Ant-Man? Um, the bald guy, you mean? Yeah. When it comes to naming the, uh, the Marvel characters, I always have to defer to you. Um, as soon as I hear it, I'll, I'll know it. Um, Darren Cross. Darren Cross, yes. So, he's talking about, uh... Hank Pym's, like, Ant-Man stuff, you know, back in the day. And he goes, Tales to Astonish. And that's Ant-Man's debut comic. So, I wish they did that in in all of them. Because, like, that that's most of it there. Journey into Mystery is famous for Thor. Tales to Astonish is famous for, for Ant-Man. But Iron Man actually debuted in uh, Tales of Suspense. So... I, it like made me a little upset that there was never a reference of Tales of Suspense in any of the Iron Man movies. Like that would have just been the trifecta, and I wish <laughs> they had done that. Um, yeah, so that's a neat little uh, thing there. Um, I, I like another reference there when they see the Destroyer for the first time and. And uh, I don't know if it's Sitwell or a random guy. He goes, is that, is that one of Starks? And he goes, I don't know. Guy never tells me anything. <laughs> yeah, I like that line too. <laughs> um, one of my favorite lines in the movie is uh, when uh, Thor comes back in his armor and stuff and he talks to Coulson. He goes, know this, son of Cole. And I thought, <laughs> thought that was great. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite line too. Yeah, there's a lot of funny, like, this is, like, Ragnarok's obviously the funniest Thor movie, but there's a lot of good, good humor in this, too, like, when he's at the, you know, the diner scene, when he smashes the drink, just on the floor, like, just expecting that that's, that's how things go at Earth, like, just, there's lots of kind of, kind of funny little scenes with Thor adapting to, uh, to Earth, which I really liked. Hmm. Yeah, he's, uh, Ragnarok was kind of a long time coming, because Thor has some pretty great lines in, in Avengers, and in a lot of stuff, and in, yeah, feel like they really made him shine um uh so so loki actually kills laufey which uh i thought was great um i i wish they'd done more stuff like that in the hulk like i feel like they left too much open for a sequel whereas kenneth brown i was kind of just like not wasting his now time to plan for the future he was just worried about making a good movie and wasn't like, yeah. you know, what happens if Luffy's dead? We can never use him again. Like, no, just kill Luffy. That's fine. This is comics, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. Which is funny because I've read somewhere that I think Kenneth Branagh was quoted saying that, like, Donald Blake could potentially be, like, a much bigger character in a Thor sequel. And I don't think he ever showed up in any of them. I feel like he might have, actually, but maybe not. Um, but that's... I thought that was kind of an underwhelming, like, 
I don't know. It, it makes me wonder what he had in, you know, if, if they had given him a Thor 2, what would have happened? Because Donald Blake being part of the story doesn't sound wildly entertaining to me. No, I think it's like we talked about with the Hulk, where they just like to do these little Easter eggs, these little kind of small things, just to leave it open for if they, you know, if they ever want to pursue it in the future. Yeah. But so he, that's probably what that is. And they probably he, knew they didn't want to use Luffy again, so they, they kill him off. And, you know, yeah. and as we've seen with the MC movies, they don't really, re, with the exception of Loki, like, they don't really reuse villains or, like, minor, like, mind, you know, characters like that. Like, so uh, I'm not entirely surprised. Yeah. I like, I like destroying, um, destroying the Destroyer and killing Luffy. Uh, you know, worked a lot better than, you know, like, no one in the Hulk dying more or less and leaving stuff open as cliffhangers. Whereas they don't do that at all in this one, um, in, in a bad way, uh. Because, you know, all the references of Donald Blake worked exactly as that, as Easter eggs. Uh, I just, I found it was interesting that he was kind of, like, had plans to maybe use that as a potential thing. Because, like, he clearly didn't bring in Donald Blake stuff with that intention. Hmm. Um. And found it on to Loki. Never really realized he's using the Bifrost to, like, the overwhelming power on it to destroy Jotunheim. Um, it's kind of odd that that's kind of the defining moment of the movie, that he wants to, you know, destroy Jotunheim, and then Thor's like, you can't kill an entire race. And he goes, why not? And it's kind of like, it's weird, but at the same time, it's just, like, so Loki that he just doesn't care, and is I don't know, he kind of has this, like, um, like a... In apathy towards other people, like he, you know, he's totally fine casting Thor aside to get what he wants, even though Thor's, you know, one of the closest people to him. And uh, you know, killing all the frost giants doesn't matter to him. Killing how many humans he does in Avengers doesn't matter to him. It's an interesting uh, side to him. Yeah, well, and Thor is always going out of his way to try and you know be nice to him, and well, not be nice to him, but try and you know, help him or, like, get him to turn. It's kind of like, uh, and it just, you know, up until Ragnarok, it, it had just been a futile effort, you know? Yeah. Um. And then, uh, yeah, anything else about the movie you want to talk about before we jump to the post credit scene? Uh, let's see. No, no, I think we pretty much covered anything. Just, uh, yeah, like I just like the way the way it ends, and uh, that Thor, you know, knows he's not ready to be king, you know, just yet. And yeah, other than that, I, I don't think I have a whole lot more to talk about, unless you do. No. Um, yeah, we get the post credit scene. We have you know Eric Selvig going down to meet uh, Nick Fury, uh, and Fury talks about how he's, you know, impressed a lot of people, way smarter than. Than Fury is, and and he goes, ah, well, you know, I have so much to work with, you know, like all this information and research and the Foster theory, which is, you know, whatever Jane had discovered with her work on um, the Nine Realms and stuff, um, which, which for the record, doesn't get touched on too much in this, but Asgard, uh, Earth is known as Midgard, and then they travel to Jotunheim, um, and... Hogan's from Vanaheim, but we don't see Vanaheim in this, so uh, they really only reference the three realms out of the nine in this, um, but you'll see more of that later. 
in the other movies. Um, so yeah, Fury shows the Tesseract to Selvig, and then we see Loki in the mirror there uh, manipulating Selvig's words and stuff. Yes. Yeah, like, uh, it's um, it's a Tesseract that you see in the post credit scene, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just want to make sure. Yeah. Um, so that's the movie. Uh, I, I give it four stars. I just really like it. I feel like the Thor and Loki stuff's really strong. Um, it could be better, but uh, yeah. See, I think the way that you were describing the end of The Dark World is kind of what I see with the end of this movie, I guess. So we're just like, the climax to me isn't really, it's just kind of like, the you know, the on a flat stretch of kind of New Mexico town. Like, it's kind of fun, but it's just like, it doesn't really have that epic feel to it that a, that a MCU movie should for me. So I think that's why it kind of takes a bit of a... A bit of a hit because everything else is good like the writing and directing is good and like the casting it, it just i remember that that fight not being the most exciting fight in the mcu well that you got to realize that's not the climax and that's not the big fight um that's the moment where you know they can't destroy the Th- destroyer thor uh is willing to give his life to make sure that his friends are safe and when that happens you know he's knocked down he almost died he's made worthy the hammer comes to him, and all he does is bring up, uh, like, a tornado a little in the sky there, and, you know, he's in the eye of the storm. The destroyer's blasting at him. He's deflecting the shots, and in one fell swoop, he comes down on him uh, with his hammer, blasts the energy black back, and, and destroys the destroyer in, in one shot. And then it's kind of on to the next scene there. Um and the climax is really when he goes back and fights Loki on the Bifrost. And that scene, I really like. Uh, Loki's got Gungnir. He's, you know, attacking Thor with it. They fight it out. Uh, he's using his, uh, his magic to do, like, feints and uh, duplicate himself. And, you know, uh, Thor kind of bests him by putting his hammer on his chest, which is a classic trope that I really like. Um, I do like that, yeah. And then he's destroying Jotunheim with the Bifrost uh, traveling thing, the reactor, whatever that is. And he's like, it's too powerful, there's nothing you can do about it. So, you know, Thor pulls his hammer off of him and just smashes the bridge. And he's like, what are you doing? You'll never see her again if you do that. And he does, and he smashes it, you know, because once again, he's worthy now, he's understanding sacrifice, and saving an entire, you know, race of people that he originally wanted to obliterate uh, comes before his, you know, personal feelings for Jane. And uh, Odin wakes up, you know, catches them, uh, and Loki lets himself fly off into the Black Abyss there, and uh, through his uh, genius and magic ability somehow survives and, you know, ends up still manipulating things by the end of the movie. So I feel like it's just like... Really strong. I, I don't know. The climax for me was really... I love the Bifrost fight bridge. Um, yeah. I, I, I liked it very little when I was kind of focusing on the Destroyer being the villain. But if you just see him as a tool of Loki, I feel like it's a lot better. That's true. That's a good point. Um, 
So the comic adaptation, written by Christos Gage, who's a pretty decent writer, uh, don't read it. It's it's a little rushed and awkward, and in two issues just summarizes the plot of the movie, and there's absolutely nothing new in it, which is kind of a shame. Like, I liked how they did some new stuff in the Iron Man ones and stuff, but there's actually nothing new in this one. Um, have you uh, have you been enjoying reading the the uh, the adaptations? Only if they change stuff. Ah, otherwise, pretty brutal. It's it's interesting to see when they cut stuff, which usually they do to make room for stuff, and seeing what stuff they cut. But this one was super awkward, and I didn't even like the art. Um, I don't know, especially having done it right after watching the movie. It just I didn't enjoy it. Um, just seems kind of like a a marketing ploy, a waste of whatever you know. Yeah, well, that's kind of why I haven't really been reading the adaptations. I, I but I like that you have been because then it gives me, you know, there, it doesn't seem like it actually happens all that often, but it does seem like there's the occasional scene that wasn't in the movie or, the, or stuff like that. Yeah, and if I can yeah, you tell know, you what happens, it's you know not worth reading, right? Yeah, and you, you know how I feel about adaptations in general. Like I don't not I feel about them. Just that I don't normally read them and stuff. So at least I get your perspective on that. Totally. Um, I feel like the only point of an adaptation is to kind of put your own spin on it. So if you're literally just doing it to get a different form of media of the same story with less in it, what's the point? Interesting. Do you think you'll, you'll keep reading them right through? Definitely, I have to. Just because I, I don't know which ones are different, which ones are the same. True. Um, I will spare you that curse. <laughs> um... So, finally, uh, is The Consultant, um, which I enjoyed. Uh, it's kind of clever how to save on budget. They, they you know, cut in the post credit scene from uh, Incredible Hulk. Um, and kind of nice because they tie it into, uh, you know, it, it makes what happens in The Incredible Hulk relevant to the rest of the story even with yeah. Edward Norton not being in a part because I, I don't know I was watching something on Reddit where someone was talking about how their theater was doing a MCU uh, publication order uh, or release order um, marathon over the span of a, however many um, weeks there and uh, they cut Hulk out for what reason I'm not sure Um but I think it's important to watch, uh, even though it's awkward and it's the most missable of them. Like it still has stuff that I think ties into the rest of the MCU. The Hulk or the consultant? The Hulk. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah. No, yeah. I would never say like if anyone's gonna do the full watch through of the MCU, you, you don't skip Hulk. I mean, it's one movie. You, you don't you don't skip any of them, right? You, like, yeah. If you're not into the TV shows or whatever, that's fine. You don't have to watch those. But if you're watching the movies, you definitely watch Hulk as a part of it. I'm glad we agree on that. Yeah, yeah, like we both agree it's like the worst movie of the MCU, but still, yeah, like every time I watch the MCU, I'm I'm watching The Incredible Hulk. Yeah. So if you're not watching the Hulk, you're wrong. <laughs> um. So you want to go over uh, the the plot of the consultant from what you remember? Yeah, it's just just uh, isn't it just Coulson and Sitwell? They're just talking about. Uh, it, aren't they essentially just? talking and then they're uh they're, 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 i know the the important thing that comes up is uh blonsky they discuss him and uh and that he's currently in prison um but that's about 
all I remember. Because isn't that isn't that about the whole thing? Yeah. So they they talk about how uh, the the World Security Council, who is um, I guess mostly introduced in Winter Soldier, probably. No, yeah. they're they're in Avengers. Oh, are they? That's where that's where they debut because they're the ones with the that are like we're gonna bomb the town or whatever, like blow up New York. True. Um, and then also in Winter Soldier, so they're like, we uh, we want Blonsky on on the Avengers. We want them on the team because you know they think he's like this war hero because what happened in the media and, and public knowledge is that the Hulk is responsible for everything that happened in, uh, you know, Harlem there. Um, not that he stopped Abomination, but Abomination was the hero. So they have him locked up or whatever. And they want... Um, they want S.H.I.E.L.D. to approach General Ross, asking him to put Blonsky on the Avengers, even though that S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't want him on the Avengers. Oh, yeah, that's right. Can you imagine Blonsky on the Avengers? My God. Yeah, that would have been <laughs> hilarious. They should uh, They should really do it. I would... And and at the end of the consultant, they say that he's still in prison. So it would kind of be awesome if they had a weird Dark Avengers thing and Abomination came back at some point. I would kind of be about that, where they're like, I don't know, or a group of villains, something like that, and he comes in. I would love to see him on a team. Did I just hear Jeremy Visser endorse Suicide Squad? Is that essentially what I just heard right there? Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, I Suicide is. Squad is a great comic from what I hear. Uh, it's just unfortunate. I don't think a team like that should get its own movie. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> if there was, like, a Dark Avengers thing or, like, a group that Blonsky was going to be in, I would want it to be... The, the opposing force. I would want them to be the antagonists, but I would still love to see his his work with other people, or I don't know. That is a funny parallel, though. Right? Because um, essentially what I'm asking is him working with people, which is kind of the plot of Suicide Squad. Um, yeah. But, I mean, and the biggest problem for me with Suicide Squad was you have a bunch of characters that are getting introduced uh, in that movie, and you don't have enough time to explain their backgrounds and stuff so you know we know Blonsky uh we wouldn't have to have him explain if they did something like that where they had a bunch of random ass uh Marvel MCU villains thrown together that we already know that would be super interesting yeah agreed um so so yeah they're like okay we need to we need to get a patsy to screw this up or whatever Sitwell's like, oh, I can do a good Patsy. Like I, I've been known to do a good Patsy. And then Coulson goes, oh, your Patsy's legendary. In fact, whenever I think of the word Patsy, I think and Sitwell goes, okay, yeah, that's enough. I get it. Um, <laughs> and uh, then he's like, well, well, yours is pretty good. We need, uh, we need someone who's you know super arrogant and just abrasive. And then he goes, you know, you're describing the consultant. You don't know. We're not talking about the consultant. He goes, just describe the consultant to a T. No, we're not. We're not using the consultant. And then they cut in that scene where Tony comes in and talks to, to General Ross and is just kind of, you know, very Tony. And then they meet back up and they're like, so yeah, he uh, totally annoyed the hell out of him. And uh, <laughs> to the point where uh, Ross tried to get him kicked out of the bar. Oh yeah, how did that work? Uh, well, you know, uh, Tony bought the bar and uh, it's set to be demolished <laughs> on Monday now. And 
that, yeah, that's how it ends. <laughs> a fun bit. But yeah, so we we had the potential for Blonsky going to the Avengers. You kind of see how the World Security Council is crazy. Um, and uh, get some tie-in to some of the other movies while also still saying that Abomination is kind of just locked up somewhere. Yeah, I like this idea. Like, like obviously, the fu- funny thing on the way to Force Hammer is like more action-packed, and it's really good too. But I, I, I kind of like that these the one, one shots. Like, I'd be fine with more one shots of characters from the movies just sitting down and talking. Honestly, I, I really wish they'd bring them back. They, they were just fun little, fun little things that uh, that were really starting to find their groove before they stopped doing them. And I, I don't really know why. Yeah, um, I saw. I, I know how uh, Avengers is supposed to have like crazy. Um... Uh, interactions between all these characters you wouldn't see normally. And I saw someone post something on Reddit where, like, this is the one interaction I want to see. And it was a comic I had actually read, so I 100% support this. And it was Rocket Raccoon and Captain Marvel's cat. <laughs> Both fantastic characters that hate each other. And Wait, who's Captain Marvel's cat? You're going to have to film me on that. I, I know nothing about Captain Marvel. Chewie. His name's Chewie. And is it a sentient cat? Uh, it's not a cat. It's a Flarknar, something I think it's called. Oh, Flarknar. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, it's. It, I think it's in uh, Captain Marvel comic, or I don't know if it ever popped into the Guardians of the Galaxy because she was a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy at one point uh, in, in recent comic history. Uh, so I think during her comics, Rocket makes a pop in and is like, "Oh my god, like, get that creature away from me!" Because she loves her cat, and he's just like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "That." Get that thing away from me. And she's like, leave my cat alone. He's like, that's not a cat. It's a, I think he calls it a Flarknark or a Flarnark or something like that. And then she's like, what are you talking about? No, this is a cat. He's like, no, I know what that is. He's like, it's got tons of tentacles, horrible teeth, and breeds like crazy. And then like later on in the series, you find out that it is, yeah, absolutely that. It is not a cat. Uh, it just looks like a cat sometimes, but when it gets agitated, it like grows tentacles and has crazy teeth and stuff. And it's like this really brilliant uh, bit of writing. I believe it was funny. Kelly Sue DeConnick uh, that that wrote that. Um, so I would love to see that, and I hope she at least has Chewie in uh, in the movie. Interesting. Yeah. I'll have to read up on Captain Marvel before that comes out. Yep, yep. Um, so I guess. It would be good. I have very limited knowledge of uh, original Silver Age comic stuff. I'm still slowly working away at it while trying to stay on top of school and everything. Um, but for Thor, I will always recommend uh, Jason Aaron's run on, on Thor. Um, everyone should just read that. That's the best Thor stuff you can get. Uh, I know the story for this movie was created uh, by two people, one of which was J. Michael Straczynski, who did fantastic run on Spider-Man, ironically adding a mysticism to it that kind of over, like, like where it was like science and magic are the same thing. He kind of added that to Spider-Man, which was really cool. Um, and I know he had a huge run on Thor there, and I haven't read it, but I've heard great things. So I would also recommend that because J. Michael Straczynski, aside from creating Babylon 5, correct? Which I still need to watch. Yeah, me too. Um, he's just a fantastic writer, brilliant guy. Highly recommend people checking out his stuff. Um, that's my Thor recommendation. I'll try and give 
relevant recommendations to the different movies, but that's all I really got for that. Cool. Um, so yeah, next week, uh, I think we do Fury's Big Week, uh, Item 47, some of the other stuff, and obviously The Avengers, which also has a comic adaptation. Oh, I can't wait to uh, the Avengers. I've been trying to. I've been trying to think about what is my favorite MCU movie, and it's always so hard. But I, I don't think the Avengers has ever shifted from being at least in the top three or top five. Top three, I'd say. It's just yeah. such an epic movie, and I, I'm looking forward to talking about that one. Totally. Um. Yeah. So that'll be next week. Uh, for those listening to this, we had some technical difficulties. Uh. First off, um, not being experienced podcasters, uh, we didn't take the necessary precautions, and now I have to edit through two hours of podcasts to fix it. So <laughs> these are going to be up way later. Uh, hopefully, I can fit this all up onto Podomatic by the time the Avengers 1 is done. Um, I'm going to have the editing done by the end of the week for sure, um, the weekend. Um I'm trying to get this up on iTunes or find a hosting place to put it where I can, you know, put that stuff up. So we'll see how that goes. Um, Fingers crossed. Yeah, it'll be worst case, Ontario. I'll have to uh, delete old episodes from Podomatic to keep them up, but I will have them available and hopefully at least on my blog. And then I'm going to try and get them on iTunes. So. We'll get them to you somehow. <laughs> somehow you will hear us discussing Marvel movies. Somehow, some way. Yeah, with enough time to get caught up before Infinity War comes out. I promise. <laughs> All right. Uh, I guess that's it for this week. Yes, sir. All right. And uh, next week, Avengers. Get hyped. See you next week, everybody. All right. Peace out. Bye.